we listen and we don't get defensive and we don't say, well, I've done this and I've done that. If we just listen, we will learn a lot. But I think those are such key um, perspectives to share about any work, um, theatrical or not, related to social justice and social equity or social change even broadly. So um, it's just that there's a cost to to being the first voice out there or to being the amplifying voice. Mm, yeah. Thanks for joining us for the second part of our discussion with theater artist and activist Joan Lipkin. We're going to jump right in with discussion about the BIPOC We See You American Theater letter. And then we're going to keep talking and we're going to talk about the use of technology and theater in the Zoom room. So welcome back and enjoy. And, and I think that this is a moment this is a moment of, for learning. We do have a culture of white privilege in contemporary theater. And it's, it's across the boards. I mean, of course there are exceptions, but I was doing some research the other day. There's a wonderful group in New York called the Asian American Performers Action Coalition. And Asian Americans are really underrepresented. And they did a study uh, an annual study of ethnic representation in New York. And in 2016, 2017, 90% of the playwrights um, in theaters were white and they were mostly male, you know? And so these things have to be questioned and, uh, and we can all play our part, but I think what we can do is we can study, we can listen, we can learn. I think that white allies should be in white study groups. I'm in one mm. where we examine our own privilege and our own assumptions. And, and then we're intentional about how we're going to shift our behavior. It, the issue is not being white per se. The issue is how that affords us opportunities and and privileges that a lot of people take for granted and that are used in ways that are exclusionary and hurtful for people of color. But this has been part of the mission of my company for many years. My work has always um, addressed issues of, of gender and color and disability. Um, but this moment is asking more of us. And it's it's just... It's one of the things that I'm working on. I'm working on many things right now, but it is one thing that I'm dedicated to and intentional about. What are some of the things that you engage that give you the energy to support that work, right? Because that's a, a, lot, of, um, a lot of the activities around that work require you to pour out, I would imagine, and just by their nature seem to be very um, energy taking, <laughs> even though you might grow and feel um, that the work is very important. It, it sounds like it's a, a lot of energy work. And so what work are you doing that feels joyful, that feels creative, that feels renewing? Um, or is the, that this work? How does that show up for you? I, I actually feel hopeful and feel joyful when I feel that I'm making decisions that are about moving us forward. When, when I came up with this idea that not only were we going to commission people, but they were exclusively, at least I would think, yeah. I mean, right now we're talking about exclusively being artists of color. I thought, wow, this is really something that we can do. And I think it meant something to these dancers and choreographers around the country when we told them what we planned to do. <laughs> because... This is coming out of St. Louis, right? We didn't say we're doing this thing on voting. And we, we said we are doing this thing that looks at the history and in, in urgency of voting. And we feel that your presence would mean a lot. And we intend to pay you to the extent that we, we have funds to do it. And that we want to focus on artists of color. It's a very different kind of statement. And we're a racially mixed group that are offering this right so we're not coming off as white saviors right. 
um, which I think is also important. I do, I, I do a lot of listening right now on this podcast. I'm doing a lot of talking. <laughs> That's the goal for this one. But yeah. <laughs> well, but I think you all have a lot of interesting things to share, really. But I, I have interesting resources that might be useful for your listeners. Um, there are so many good conversations that are available out there. HowlRound and the Siegel Center at CUNY. Have you been going to those conversations? Yeah, yeah, and um, I did, and I have. I mean, HowlRound is 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 so great. And um, were you on the um, when American Theater held their um, Zoom calls, um, one for artists of color and one for white artists? I didn't catch all of it. You know, I got I got some of that. Tell share a little. Well, it's just really interesting that you know. Um, being on clearly the the one that was for the white artists, you know, the beginning of it was really just about exactly what you're saying. Like, here's the history and here's um, the information that um, maybe you don't know. And here are some white um, people, you know, white saviors of you, but like white people who have, um, you know, been doing this work for a while. And so you can look into them and emulate them and look to them for guidance. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and then breakout groups to really talk about, um, what was going Mm -hmm. on for ourselves and, and, and how, you know, and the mistakes that we're making and all of those things. So, um, I thought it was a great first step and I hope that, I hope that they will do more. There is a play, um, there's a Facebook group that's got over 3000 people, um, and I'm trying to remember what the name of it is. I'm a member of it. It, it has to do with white theater makers and are looking at racism. Um, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to get things wrong. It's, it, it's just part of what the process and the practice of being human is. But I make mistakes a lot. And then I say, you know, I'm really sorry I got that wrong. Let me try that again. And so, I mean... I think a lot of times white people get paralyzed, well-intentioned white people get paralyzed by the, their fear that they're going to offend so they don't do anything. Yeah. As opposed to saying, you know, I could very easily get this wrong, but um, this is my intention. And I think we have to try things. And the more we try things and the more we listen, um, the better we get. But I'm also energized by listening to colleagues in this pause, as we call it. Um, that's the other thing that we're going to have. P, the, the, <laughs> the letter P is going to have a lot of space in the dictionary. <laughs> right, yes. Pivots, pandemics, pausing. <laughs> the three Ps. But, but you know, I went to um, uh, a week-long uh, conference with the Director's Lab West. Mm, yeah. But... Oh, it was yeah. fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it was so great. Right? So I had gone to that in person a million years ago. Um, and then, but then to have it all online and have it accessible and they release the videos if you didn't make a session. And um, I mean, that's the thing. Like there's so much, what I consider sort of positive outcomes from this is that the accessibility of materials that used to be guarded, I think has been amazing. Yes. Isn't that something I think that people are, Um, A lot of uh, companies and organizations have become more generous. Uh, I think it's one way that they can stay in touch with their audiences and build new ones. But I also think they recognize that we're in this moment where we need to extend ourselves. But there's wonderful programming through Playwrights Horizons and New York Theater Workshop. And by that, I mean, I don't just mean the kinds of streaming plays and and performances, which I also go to, but it's the conversations that I'm excited about. I want to know how people are doing. And um, yeah, uh, uh, Loretta, I went to a uh, a, a conversation through the Net Ensemble, and they had funded me to go back to Eastern Europe this year, which unfortunately is on pause. Mm-hmm. But it's a wonderful organization, and they put together a series of three conversations. And this is a couple of probably a few months ago. One of the conversations was for us to talk about how we were feeling. 
and there were a group of us on the call. It was a Zoom. They recorded it, and then they wrote to us, and they said, we're not going to release this. Oh. Um, yeah. And I wrote, and I said, thank you, because I was one of the people on the call who cried. Yeah. <laughs> um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but a lot of us cried. And we talked about what we're missing, mm. what we have had to give up. Um, what our fears and concerns are. And uh, I remember somebody on the call um, said, this is the first time I've been in a conference call where I have been able to bring both my professional and personal selves Mm -hmm. and to share how I'm really feeling because she's a well-known director of a company. And we all said, yeah. You know, so this is an opportunity for us to expand our humanity um, and beyond our own immediate concerns. So something else I'm involved with, which to me is actually giving me joy, is there's a new group that has started called the Global Global Play Brigade. (laughs) (laughs) And what it is sort of a, a loose collection of artists and um, therapists and educators uh, and activists. And we are uh, offering free workshops um, all over the world that engage with comedy and clowning and theater games and therapeutics to try and promote healing and joy and community. Um, And that's something that I've been going to a lot. And I'm also um, trying to expand. I think the biggest challenge I'm having is is trying to expand my technical skills and to learn how to translate some of the kind of work that I felt pretty comfortable doing live Mm -hmm. to doing it online, Mm -hmm. right? How about yeah. you, Suzanne, in terms of the teaching that you're doing and also the directing that you're doing? Yeah, so, well, you know, thinking about fall, I mean, I think spring teaching, I think most people will admit was, you know, sort of a big shit show. Yeah. But, but you know, for the fall, so right now, um, I'm planning on doing, uh, for my with my students, one show outside. Um, we have sort of a tiny little amphitheater on campus. So um, just a reduced, a reduced Shakespeare type play, right? Um, so it's so outside theater. And then, um, and then, yeah, and then a Zoom type play. But again, trying to, I'm not landing on Zoom. There are now, of course, right? You've seen all these other um, Zoom type of platforms that different uh, companies are now promoting. So trying yeah. Right. And so trying to figure out, but yes, like I'm not, I'm not a TD. I'm not a production like manager. I had a team that could help me. And I do feel, um, I do feel like, Oh goodness, I'm, I'm doing this class and we're going to present a play online at the end of it. And I have to sort of with the students, but I have to figure out what's the best format and how we're going to make that work. And yeah, it's a lot. It is. It is. And, and, but, you know, there's been these debates that have gone on for a while. And frankly, I'm just bored with them, like whether or not work on Zoom is real Mm -hmm. theater and what constitutes real theater. That's not useful. Yeah. How is that useful for a student who is quarantined or for a professor like yourself who really loves and cares about her students and her work and is trying to figure out how to best serve everyone. It's not useful to have that conversation. There are different ways to think about Zoom and these other platforms, whether it's house party or FaceTime. They do offer us intimate but distancing social technology in ways that haven't really been explored. Yeah. And, and I, that's important. Right? Like, that's what I'm trying to like tell, you know, because the other part is like, will theater students even show up in the fall? And, you know, part of it is we are in a changing world. And now we have to figure out how to translate what we were doing in some form to 
technology. And we can't wait anymore. We can't say it's not real theater. We have to figure out how to do it and be comfortable doing it because this is the future. I, you know, you, spot on, Suzanne. That's exactly right. Yeah. It, it, it is the future. First of all, it's our, our, our foreseeable future yeah. um, until we really have a vaccine. So this could be for a while. I think, um, you know, but we also need to promote what is useful about this form. I mean, I have a rehearsal. Uh, I'm working on a project with Jessica Litback and she's written a play that looks at fear. It's an extension of her fear project. And we have actors in several different countries and we're going to record this in, and it will be visible for people in their own countries, uh, in different countries. Uh, we have opportunities with things like Zoom and these different platforms to have a kind of democratization to make the work more accessible, to have it be seen by many more people in different formats. Uh, this is a plus. Do we miss sitting next to somebody and having our heartbeats yeah. you know, synchronize, Loretta, right? We know how that goes, right, in the theater. Do I want to hug on my actors? And the work that I have done with our playback company, for example, and we were devising a piece on DACA, which we had to put on hold, is very physical. Mm -hmm. But there's no point in, in, in at this point, I cried on a, on a call, on a collective call with my colleagues two and a half months ago. Right. I'm not crying now, although I have these moments. I am into problem solving. I am into looking at embracing what, technology has to offer and it's it's really interesting and I think one of the things Suzanne that that you can do with your students is to say to them this is where we're going and this is a fantastic hybrid between theater as we traditionally know it and film yeah. and that we can use these little squares um, in filmic ways yeah. and I think that that could be quite compelling for them. If we say, if we talk to them about the traditional models of how we usually do theater, then people may not sign up. But if you say, this is an opportunity for us to do some very interesting things, and you all are pioneers, yeah. and, and they're on technology all day long, Right. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And, you know, and it's interesting because a lot of my students, not only, of course, they all are as much as they're interested in theater, they're interested in film. I also have quite a few that are interested in voice acting, um, which I think comes from, you know, uh, cartoons and, and comics and all the rest of it. Um, and again, like, exactly. So if this is your interest, how can we now use technology and amplify this while, you know, some of the live stuff is, is on pause? Yes, and, and, and you know, if you think about... Um what people's interests are. I mean, one of the things that I've always done is to say to somebody, well, uh, what are you interested in? Uh, well, I, you know, I don't really like to act, Joan, but I really like to help, you know, I'm behind the scenes. Great. We always need people who are behind the scenes. People who are behind the scenes are integral to the scenes. This is a great way for somebody who wants to study stage management or arts administration. Uh, they can they can become very fluid with all the different controls. It has been challenging when I go to playback performances and rehearsals and it's like, and now you rename yourself and now you, <laughs> we're gonna practice raising our hand and not raising our hand and turning the video off. But you know what? I think that we can get used to that. I'm getting more, are you getting more used to that yet? Yes, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Um, at the beginning, right, when we all went home in March, it was, you know, like, oh my goodness, like mountain, uh, how do I do this? And I actually had a friend in Spain uh, who asked me to find some students and we found some students because she just wanted to practice putting them in little groups and jumping from group to group and, you know, and, and, and all of that sort of stuff. She wanted to practice on Zoom. And 
it was so great because my students got to meet this director who lives in Spain and, um, and we all got to practice using the technology. That's fantastic. And how about you, Loretta? Are you, are you needing to use this technology for your, for your work in your life? Yeah, so I've been on sabbatical this past um, academic year. So um, what's interesting is that I, I didn't get my institutional Zoom account, I think, until late April. And that was just to support some client work that I'm doing around equity consulting for my lab. So I haven't had to coordinate students from in-person to online and, and do that quick um, pivot. So definitely saved some scars. But as I look ahead, I'm now in this very interesting position where, you know, our lives in my household are very hybrid. We have um, several vulnerabilities in our household. So we're not, you know, we're still socially distant. We still stay home except for grocery stores. We're not um, going inside buildings. And so although I will have colleagues teaching on campus this fall, I won't be among them. I will be doing my courses from um, remote. So, um, so it's interesting, you know, to be somebody who's been at the, you know, guiding some conversations around to now have um, such an, in, it's like I'm being pulled in for more and more conversations, but I'm not physically available <laughs> in the way that I was where I did yeah. on so many, you know, body language reading and, you know, yeah, or check and moving groups, you know, all the facilitation techniques that we all rely on in person. Um, I'm not sure what that's going to look like, but I know that I will be thrust into discovering what that looks like because both my lab community based work as well as my um, teaching matter this fall is such that it will be very topical, it will be very racial justice in the United States and in various disciplines. Um, focused. So, um, so yeah, I sort of feel very much at a disadvantage because I didn't go through it in March. Um, and then in some other ways, I feel advantaged in that I have, I think, more realistic expectations for what I can expect from um, some of the in-person work I've done as far as how. Mm -hmm. so. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot to get used to. One of the things that I've noticed that I think is helpful uh, is because I, again, I'm, I go to many meetings and, uh, and conferences and rehearsals and performances is uh, people are often shy about really sharing when there's a large group on Zoom. Mm -hmm. But if there, are, if there are some things that have been laid out, foundational, and then you go to breakout rooms, um, that have anywhere from like four to six or eight people, the conversation is really different. Mm. People are more comfortable. That's one of the things I've noticed that I'm integrating into my practice. Another thing is to try to um, get people comfortable when there's a large group so that they can all start to know each other. So I was at a conference for a theater artists that Michael Rode from the for the Center for um, Civic Practice and Willa Taylor from the Goodman uh, facilitated together last week, and they're both dear friends and wonderful practitioners in in our field. There were eighty people at the conference over three days, and they set it up in which could be the size of a really large class, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and they set it up so that we, we did these things that were fun. And I'd be happy to send you some of what they did if it, you know, off, offline. Yes. Here. Oh, um, <laughs> and uh, they like, but just for example, they would break it by birthdays. So period people from this birthday to that birthday is group one and then the second group. And so um, give us a word or um, um, a movement of how you're feeling today to be here. Right. Or make a drawing of yourself that talks about, um, make a drawing of yourself that mentions a body of water that you're near, a favorite word, no, a favorite food, and the way that you might swear if you're comfortable saying <laughs> And then we would all turn off our cameras, except for the group that was doing it. Oh, interesting. Okay. 
you know, and we were then all laughing and some of that initial anxiety of being in a room with 80 people, most of whom we didn't know, just kind of dissipated. Right. And, and those of us who are working on playback and also doing the Global Play Brigade, we've been developing a lot of techniques to just sort of break the, the virtual ice, <laughs> break some kind of ice so that then we can, and then there's information that gets shared, but I, I, I haven't yet seen um, an experience of a conference where people really feel comfortable talking in a large group, yeah. you know? Have you, have you seen that yet? No, I, I certainly haven't. And, um, you know, and then in, um, I think you're right. I think breakout rooms are the way to go. Um, in educational settings, you have the other issue too, which is that um, students don't always turn on their cameras and, you know, and there's, there's, you know, discussion about whether or not it's okay to ask students to turn on their cameras. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, so there's, managing the room the zoom room <laughs> is, is a whole nother skill set that um you know we're learning as we go yeah yeah loretta i'm very much like you i feel like i can walk in and read things when i'm in a room whether it's a rehearsal space or a performance or a classroom all of which i've done a lot right, right? and 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 uh come in with a basic kind of toolkit and a basic framework of what I plan to do. And if I read things a certain differently, then I just, you know, I just sort of turn on a dime. I'm trying not to use the word pivot. <laughs> Hi. Hey there. Just you and I right now, I just sent the link to you. Um, I'll, I'll send it to the others in a minute. I just want to teach me. Oh, I can't speak. Just want to... <laughs> I just got up with the email thread and, um, so it sounds like a great conversation we've got lined up. Okay, cool. Um, so, yeah. Um, my God, I've just been on, like, webinars all morning, so. <laughs> yeah, that was me yesterday, like, well. <laughs> so then I let my whole morning slide, and then my research assistant was texting me saying, shouldn't we be on the Zoom now together <laughs> with that other person <laughs> that we <laughs> Obviously, and I said, what? Oh, my gosh. I was, like, just going to be a mom this morning, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as soon as this is over, I'm going to take a nap. And I don't care. I don't care that I'm an adult human being and maybe I shouldn't take a nap. I'm taking a nap. Oh, no. Actually, naps are really important. That's how we restore. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to restore and snore. Restore. Good, good. good. <laughs> Uh, so, well, hi, Christina. It's so nice to hear your voice and to see your name on my screen. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, so nice to see you too, or hear you, I guess. Yes, I'm the I'm the L Brady there, Loretta. And, hi, Loretta. And so excited to hear about your work and had so much fun going through your project. So can't wait to talk. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is uh, such a treat. Yeah. So what I'm going to do now is I'm actually going to invite the two students. Um, so, so they'll pop in before we actually officially start. Everything we're saying is being recorded. So I guess in theory it could be used, but there will be like an official start. Um, okay. But I just wanted us to have a minute if there's, if you had any questions or whatever before the late. So um, can I ask some questions, Suzanne, while you're doing your thing? Yes, ask. So Christina, I am curious um, if you have done so part of what I do in my work life is I direct a lab and we incubate um, ideas. Some of them are projects, some of them might become programs, some of them might be research related, but we incubate ideas that build community resilience or social equity. Oh, and, awesome. Um, one of our strategies that we were beginning to use with boosting workforce resilience in um, frontline responders, first responders, uh, is actually centering around a role-playing game and um, right now we're thinking about Zoom, but it might be a possibility of doing a, a walkthrough process that's similar to how you've um, created one with your Google form. So I was just curious before doing that project for yourself, if you had ever worked on a project like that or what made you come up with the idea of the Google? Um, so to answer your question, not quite directly um, had I done work like this, although it is 
primarily the shift for me moving away from education and back to grad school. Um, I want to use theater for more community building um, and social justice um, endeavors. Um, so it's been something that I've been thinking about a lot in my theater work is I'm mostly interested in ex audience experience, um, interactivity, um, you know, as coming from an education background, I know s people learn best when they have a chance to do and get their hands dirty. Um, and I think theater creates possibilities to be in sort of a, a safe liminal space where we can imagine situations, try things out, um, and build whatever it is that we're trying to work toward, whether it's, um, you know, ideas for solutions or resilience or um, even just building empathy. Mm -hmm. um, I think theater creates a really interesting way for that. So um, the, this, uh, this particular project kind of became the first step toward thinking through how I might do a little bit more about what you're talking about and kind of fed me directly, fed directly into my um, following project, uh, which is an immersive Zoom play lab. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but I think that the form itself provides an interesting, fairly safe, non-threatening way to just become present in one's own surroundings, which I know a lot of the adventurers, adventurers who went through um, the form, that was the biggest thing from them was just sort of taking more notice of their space, um, becoming delighted in, in things that they had overlooked about places they inhabit every day. Mm -hmm. Um, so I will start. Um, uh, Christina Friedgen joins us today. She's a director and choreographer, theater divisor, and educator who creates theatrical experiences that connect the community and promote social action. Currently, she's an MFA candidate at ASU's Theater for Youth and Communities program with research that explores how to create participatory and immersive theater through digital performance in order to foster a relationship between audience and performer. So uh, welcome to the Traumaturgy podcast today. Yeah, and welcome. So, um, so specifically today, we uh, invited you here because at the beginning of the uh, pandemic sort of shutdown and physical distancing, you sent out into the world a devising type exercise online called Within These Walls, um, which sort of feels like a choose, it's a choose your own devising adventure. Um, you and I met when we uh, did moment work training in order to become certified uh, moment work teachers. And I, I certainly mm -hmm. saw a lot of that in this, um, this form and this uh, piece of, of a participatory theater, but will you talk a little bit about why you created it, how you created it, and what your goals were for this? It it was COVID related. I uh, one of the classes I was taking this semester is performances research with Dr. Kristen Hunt, and all of the projects that I had been working on involved audience participation and interactivity. Um, it was difficult because this project uh, we had just been on spring break. And we're coming back. Uh, I, was, I was about to start my uh, fourth project for this class, which turned out to be within these walls. And we found out we weren't coming back to school, at least for a few weeks. And so that at least this project would be uh, done not with a live audience. So that was a little bit of a pivot moment for me. And my sister uh, actually encouraged me to sort of embrace what I had in quarantine, which is something that I tend to do as a director and a choreographer. And I began to ask myself, because I rely so much on being in space with people, how would I uh, facilitate another performer if I couldn't be there in person with them? One of the things that I have discovered about myself 
is that I'm very kinesthetic and I build a lot of my original work off of what is in space with me. And so I started to ask myself, well, how would I lead somebody through a devising process if I wasn't in the room with them and I couldn't be in, in, in a shared space? So that's sort of how the form came about. So that's really interesting because, again, you know, we we trained at Tectonic together and, um, mm -hmm. you know, and so much of that is about being in the room with a group of people. Um, but when I went through your form, like it, it felt very much like moment work, but just on my own um, being guided like uh, and and I thought it was successful that knowing sort of the moment work training, I saw where some of these questions were coming from. Um, mm -hmm. Did you draw a lot on the moment work? I did. I specifically drew from um, viewpoints and moment work, uh, which have become my sort of shorthand in terms of devised creation. Um, I think the way that uh, Anne Bogart and Moises Kaufman um, and all of their associate editors, Tina Landau and all, um, lay what they lay out in their books. If you're not able to take one of their trainings, which their trainings are amazing, but the way they lay out their process in their book is so um, easy to follow. Um, and their language is pretty consistent um, across the board and they relate to each other, as you know. Um, so I, I do find myself using the, their methods in my own work. And so that's reflected in the form. Yeah. So, um, I very similar to, to you, right? Like our backgrounds are, are similar in, in our mm -hmm. devising training, right? The viewpoints and the moment work. And so like yourself, that's what I teach. So um, so today I invited uh, a couple alums of my program at your college, um, Tiffany Zellner and Kayla Takapina to join us because they have gone through my training. They trained at City. Um, when we were there in New York last year, and I thought that um, they could talk about their experience. I asked them to go through within these walls and participate in the Choose Your Own Adventure, and so I thought I would ask them to join us. So, welcome. Hi. Hey. Hi, ladies. So, um, so you both, I mean, you're both home and, and <laughs> yeah, okay, in various, yeah. Yes. Yep. Uh, yes, I know. And um, these are two two young people that you know got great jobs and all the rest of it, and now they're they're at home, um, and whatever that means. And um, so yeah, so in your spaces, looking at this, um, how was that for you guys to be in your home space trying to do uh, devising theater? Um, for me, it was definitely interesting to kind of take a step back and look at my house differently than I've been looking at it the past 100 days of quarantine. Um, I feel like I've definitely been in a routine of getting up at the same time every day, doing the same thing, sitting in the same room, like down at my desk doing work. And that one of the like questions that really stood out was like disrupt the room. So like I like that to me, like disrupting the like normal routine of like my day was really like interesting and like disrupting the space that I normally do things in because I literally like tore it apart like I like disrupted it like I made a mess <laughs> it was weird because this was so just a little bit of background is that I'm now in my parents room of my of my childhood home so I've moved rooms so when we got to that comfortable of like of that question of what room do you feel the most comfortable in I was, I kind of, like, that was my first, like, kind of moment of being asked that question again, going back to my childhood home after leaving and coming back. So then I was sitting there like, well, what room do I feel comfortable in? So then that, the immediate question of what room do you feel comfortable in was, like, that first look at my house that I haven't looked at before. So that was, like, a weird, like, what room do I pick? <laughs> So then eventually, you know, I picked my room that I, I'm now settled in, of course. And then doing the exercise of, I did kind of a movement one of moving around my room. Once I kind of did that and moved around and find found the different pathways and like the different doorways of my room, I started to, like, I kind of sat down and did something else. And then I came back to it. 
And I found that I was doing different pathways almost. And I was finding different areas and I would come back to it like an hour or two later, just like something my mind was doing because I'm so bored. I have nothing else to do. So I was like, I can walk my room. I could do laps and figure this out. But then when I started finding those doorways, I find like different ways to kind of do my room or like figure this new room out and figure these new like comfortable spaces out. Um, coming back to them, it was a weird feeling because it's like, I'm still kind of discovering this room. Hmm. I, it's funny that you did the pathway one because that's, I think, probably the most selected prompt. Did you do? So the question I think on the table, that we're <laughs> I think the question for you, though, is um, when you were the path, were you choosing the most obstacle or the most direct? Um, so I kind of played with both of those because it was interesting to kind of see what is the direct pathway to like my bed or what's the clear clearest pathway. Like I have a chair that's set up next to a door, but then I have, I have like a little, I have a projector in my room. So I have this thing that's right in the middle of my room. So it's already mm -hmm. kind of like an object in the way. And it's already kind of like, a, you know, it creates like two little doorways kind of in my room when I'm looking at it with my vanity and then with my, um, a set of drawers that I have. So I was kind of playing like around that and trying to figure out like, you know, how much of a direct path is this or how much is, you know, how much is it really blocking it? So I was kind of playing with both, I guess. I don't know, because I have this weird furniture thing in the middle of my room. <laughs> did, did you find yourself, um, like, was the architecture itself pushing you to like one side of the room or the other? Or did you find yourself almost working in conversation with the objects in your room? Hmm. I, I would say that I was kind of working in conversation with them because it, it's not like they're necessarily blocking any sort of crazy path. Like I never really ran into anything. I was kind of flowing around them more so than like really feeling like they were hindering anything mm. like the architecture. I don't know. Is that like, yeah, I, I, one of the things that I've, from people who have done the form that I know who've, who've talked with me, um, I find it interesting how this exercise seems to put them in relationship with objects in their room in a, in a way that normally when you, when you go through a room, you're navigating it as if it is boundaries um, mm -hmm. as opposed to like stopping and, and can really considering the object and thinking about maybe you know, what you do with it or how you got it or who it makes mm -hmm. you think of, or, you know, can you like, find something inside of it? Exactly. And that, that was what I was coming to with a lot of things like, cause so the vanity that I have is my great grandmother's. So that mm -hmm. has, you know, that whole layer of like two of the furniture pieces that I have are my great grandparents. Two of the other furniture pieces I have are from um, a grandparent that actually, uh, my great aunt that died last, like two summers ago. And then mm -hmm. another piece I have, I've like written on it. And it's like, there are quotes at one point when I was in middle school that meant a lot to me and got me through, um, you know, school and high school times. And now I come back to this piece that I've written all over it. And I come back to those quotes and I, like, I really examined those quotes again. And I was like, wow, that actually kind of means something new to me now that like I detached myself from Maryland and then now coming back to it you know, it's a whole nother meaning to it. And, you know, it's, it's been weird to say the least being in my childhood home one, and then to do this activity in my childhood home with all the knowledge of college and, and kind of being outside. It's, it was weird. It was a weird moment for me. <laughs> I, didn't, yeah, I, didn't I, expect, I didn't expect it. <laughs> I found through us to this create trauma, apparently. Is that, did we do that? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I found that through this form and, and through some of my other work adapting to digital that I'm I'm very drawn to this idea of orientation as a phenomenology and how being placed even in everyday spaces um, through COVID particularly just changes our relationship and orientation to things that we take for granted every day. Mm -hmm. So why is it working the way that it 
right? Because obviously that's a very specific set of prompts, child at home, COVID, you know, meaningful furniture pieces, you know, <laughs> but, but what is it, what's happening that having that impact, even without those kinds of I think that we, particularly at the beginning of COVID, the first, you know, now people are starting to to leave their houses, whether they should or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I think that our homes to some degree are just places that we pass through and maybe you have certain areas that you inhabit more, but even, even a bedroom. I mean, I think about um, being in graduate school, I've just, you know, moved to a new place and my bedroom is, is cozy, but it's very functional. Um, and that's how I use it. I go to sleep, I get up, I get dressed, I brush my teeth, I leave the house and I go do my day. And then I come back to go to sleep again and, and do it all over. Um, and there's something about being stuck in one spot. Um, you can only watch so much Netflix before you're like, I'm becoming the couch. Um, <laughs> and so I, th- and I think part of that. Is, that being still and really feeling the walls kind of closing around us um, has amplified, you know, particularly in America, what we're going through right now um, is, is it's amplifying the things that were under the surface for some of the population, certainly not all um, and making us go, well, we can't distract ourselves. Um, and whether that's on a, a massive societal scale or just a small, like, wow, I haven't had time to consider the relationship to my grandmother's vanity. <laughs> I, I think it, it, it gives us a space to be curious again. Mm. So I'm interested, um, Tiffany and Kayla, if, um, because you've done this work, you know, with people in, you know, in training centers with other actors, um, you know, did you, what did you find or what was it like to do this work, you know, alone? Was it, did you feel like, oh yeah, this is the same work or did it feel very, very different? Um, um, I know... Do you want to go? For me, it it kind of felt different because at first, like, I went through the form a couple times before I felt like I got the hang of it. Whereas Mm -hmm. if I'm in a room with people, I feel like I catch on to, like, devising, like, what we're trying, like, really, you don't really try to accomplish anything with devising, but what, like, the group's energy is, like, what the piece's energy is, like, whereas if I'm in a room by myself, like, I don't know, I feel like it's less, like, there's less for me to play off of. So there's more that I have to like rely on myself for. So like, I like went through the form a couple times before I could like feel like I was like really like doing something or like devising something. So I had a similar reaction kind of like with Kayla of, um, you know, feeling your space and being able to connect with others. And it like, you know, makes this feeling of like togetherness. Um, So I tried the form first with like my boyfriend and we tried to do like a written one of the written ones and you know we just got goofy and there was nobody there to kind of like keep us in check and like structure us because I know that I'm a little bit more of a goof so that's bound to happen and I kind of like we put it away for the night we were like we can't do this obviously like I'm too goofy and then I came back to it by myself later on and I didn't have that like I don't know, like when I just started moving and walking around in my space and like kind of getting out of my head again, I didn't really notice that there weren't other people in the room with me. Like I was in my space and I was like in my surroundings. So like, I don't know, like I was connecting with my furniture, I guess. (laughs) So it was happening over in my house. (laughs) And like, I don't know, I just, I don't know. I think that's one of the beautiful things about the form is that, I mean, it can be used for devising purposes and, and making quote unquote serious art, but it can also be just diverting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't, one of the things that I explored in iteration two was like, I don't, 
as the artist who put it out there, I don't need to see what other people created. It can just be an experience that they encountered and enjoyed or didn't enjoy or in allowing the possibility for not hearing back from them, um, perhaps they are able to be more open or vulnerable or goofy or whatever without feeling like they had to make something artistic. And I kind of, I really liked that because I feel like with social media, um, just like, cause you did have that question of like, oh, do you want to post this on social media? And I've been having a real hard time with mm-hmm. social media, just in general and the climate of things. And so I really appreciated the fact that you had that, like, I'm done. Like, thank you for, you know, uh, having this form and everything, but I'm done. I don't really need to post it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like that was just for me. I really appreciated that. And I just, I wanted to make sure that you knew that. <laughs> thank you. Mm-hmm. That that was perhaps the biggest thing for me as the artist, because I I had been trying to structure in social media interaction through a bunch of my projects this semester. And this mm-hmm. is the, the project that I finally came to a head of like, why? Why do mm-hmm. I need to know what they did? Like part of yeah. me is like, oh, but I want to see. And I'm like, okay, but maybe it's not for you to see. Yeah. Um, and that that to me was a big light bulb moment for my work. As someone who has a lot of creative endeavors going at any one moment, and that's pretty much constant, right? (laughs) Right now, it's like always the case. Um, The pace at which we reach goals sets us up for bipolar disorder. So one way that we can manage any risk we have for that is by taking naps and pacing our goal attainment. Yeah, that's really interesting um, because I had a conversation with a student's mother. She signed FERPA. And, um, and <laughs> just in case anyone's listening, which is kind of the point, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> and, um, the mother was like, you know, my student goes from da da da, she's high, she's low, she's always doing a project, and then there's another project. I'm like, yeah, well, theater, I think, is attractive to people who have bipolar tendencies because of the way that it works. But what you're saying is that the way that it works gives us bipolar. (laughs) Absolutely. Yep, exactly. And that's why like young people are so vulnerable during those high goals times. So like final exams week, you know, showcase week, whatever it might be. Those are often the times when students have a manic episode for the first time. It is related to that. Wow. That's really important to know. And, um, 